0: Welcome to the Mulcahy Law Firm Podcast. For over 25 years, Mulcahy Law Firm has helped plan communities and condominium associations throughout the state of Arizona. Please go to iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you for listening. Here's Beth Mulcahy. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our 2023 virtual HOA Chondo Academy. Number nine, our September class called Money Matters, Creating a Budget. Reading HOA and Condo Financials, Preventing Fraud and Embezzlement, and Giving You the 411 on Reserve Funds. Uh, Welcome to our Zoom and our Facebook Live. Thank you so much for being here today. Good morning and welcome to class number nine of our 2023 Virtual HOA Condo Academy in partnership with the cities of Avondale, Chandler, Glendale, Goodyear, Mesa, Peoria, Phoenix, Scottsdale, Surprise, and Tempe. My name is Beth Mulcahy and I'm the managing partner and senior attorney for the Mulcahy Law Firm in Phoenix, Arizona. I have enjoyed representing HOAs and condominiums for the past almost 27 years. My firm currently represents over a thousand planned communities and condominiums throughout the state of Arizona. And I also currently serve on my HOA board and have for many years. Before we dive into the meat of the seminar today, I always like to start off by getting a feel for who's in the audience. So I can tailor the information to best serve all of you. So you'll see on your screen, if you're joining us on Zoom, two polls that we're launching at the same time. If you're joining us on Zoom, excuse me, if you're joining us on Facebook Live this morning, what I'd like you to do is if you wouldn't mind just answering the question in the comment section on Facebook Live. So the first poll question is, which city do you reside in? And this would be the city where you have a condo or an HOA that pertains to this seminar here today. The second question is, let us know what your role is with that condo or HOA. Are you a board member, community manager, interested homeowner, or other? Um, And while we're waiting for those poll results to come in, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about what's on our agenda for today. In today's class, I'm going to start out by providing a summary of the HOA and condo bills that have been signed into law in 2023 during this legislative session. There were five bills. We're going to do a quick review of the bills, and we're going to give you a handout so that if you want to do more of a deep dive, you can take a look at that handout. Then we're going to talk about creating a budget, how to read your financials, how to prevent fraud and embezzlement in your association. And then we're going to finish with talking about the 411 on reserve funds and reserve studies. As always, there's going to be a free Q&A at the end of this class, so we encourage you to submit your questions via the Q&A box on Zoom or the comments section on Facebook Live. And we will stay online today answering every question during this session today. Please submit your questions to one per person, and please do your best to be specific with your question, since it's really hard for me to ask a follow-up question when we're doing questions in a live, rapid-fire manner like this. Okay, quickly, um, let's talk about what's going on in the Arizona legislature this year. In 2023, we had the longest legislative session in the history, in the history since the 27 years I've been following um, this legislature in Arizona. Five bills were ultimately signed by our governor pertaining to h and condominiums. And these bills will become effective on October 30th, 2023. We have a great summary for you that we are going to be sharing with you here on Zoom and on Facebook Live. And it's just a quick summary of each of the five bills and what you need to know about each of the five bills. Just very briefly, one bill deals with condominium insurance coverage. And so it's really important for the condominiums that are listening in today to take a close look at that bill. The next one deals with only planned communities and public roadways. And it talks about you know, regulation of public roadways within a planned community. So if you're a planned community and you have roads that have been dedicated to the city or the county, you definitely need to take a look at this bill because you're gonna need to take a vote of your membership if you wanna retain any sort of authority for parking or fines on those public roadways within your planned community. The next bill talks about political activity. I think we all know the next 18 months are gonna be very um, exciting. Um, in our country with a national election and like a sign of the Times bill, we've seen political activity bills every year now for the past few years. And this bill would allow the association to prohibit a person who is not accompanied by a unit or a lot owner or a resident of the association from entering the premises if the association restricts vehicular or pedestrian access. So basically, if you live in a guard-gated community, this bill will apply to your condo or planned community. And if a person is trying to enter your community to get a petition signed for political purposes or to campaign, if you live in a gated community that restricts vehicular or pedestrian access, no one can enter unless they're with um, a person who is a unit owner, a resident in your association. There's another bill about board removal. This applies to both planned communities and condominiums. And basically this is really important because um, there's a whole process for removal of a board member from office. And if you want a deeper dive on it, you can look at our cheat sheet called Top 10 Things You Need to Know About Community Association Law. You can find that on our website at mokahielawfirm.com. But bottom line is there's a whole process on how board members are removed from office in Arizona. Doesn't matter what your CCNRs or your bylaws say about board removal, this state law applies. So each year they've been fine-tuning this state law, and this year they fine-tuned it even more. And basically what it says is that if the board doesn't act in a timely manner upon the petition to remove a board member or board members from office. Um, and the timely manner means you have to call a, a special meeting of the membership to vote on the removal of the director or directors pursuant to a petition that submitted compliance with Arizona law. If you don't call the meeting and notice the meeting and then hold the special meeting within 30 days after receipt of the petition, The penalty under state law is that the members of the board of directors are deemed removed from office effective at midnight on the 31st day. So really serious consequences. If your board's receiving a removal petition and you don't act on it in a timely manner, consistent with what the statute requires, meaning that you have to verify the names on the petition, you have to call a special meeting of the membership, you have to send out notice and a ballot for the special meeting of the membership, and then you actually have to conduct special meeting of the membership all within 30 days, which is really quite a fast timeline for you to do that. Um, there are consequences, meaning that the board directors is removed on um, the 31st day. And last but not least, um, this applies to planned communities and condominiums, protected flags. The types of flags that can be flown in a condominium and a planned community, despite What your documents say is expanded now to include the association cannot ban any historic version of the American flag, such as the Betsy Ross flag. So, again, these five bills are going to be going into effect October 30th. We're going to be talking in more detail about these and probably spending some time, a great deal of time, at, at your um, the next Neighborhood Services Virtual Ageway Academy class in October, because be, the timing will be just perfect. All these bills will be going into effect. And... We'll give you some examples as to how, you know, these bills are going to apply to your associations and also we're going to answer the most commonly asked questions about these bills. So make sure you turn tune in next month because this will be an important um, class to so see get the deep dive on the legislative update for 2023. Again, our firm is sharing with you, or if they haven't shared already, they will be sharing with you um, our updated summary of these five bills, which are going into effect on October 30th. Okay, let's switch back and look at our polls. So, wow, we've got a lot of people here today. We have over 125 on Zoom with us here today and about 12 more with us on Facebook Live. So welcome to all of you. So the first question is, which city do you reside in? So we have almost every city here is represented here today. So Chandler has 5%, Glendale, 3%, Goodyear, 6%, Mesa, 17%. Peoria, 8%, Phoenix, 23%, Scottsdale, seven Scottsdale 27%, Surprise, 6%, and Tempe, 5%. So our winners this week of the highest participation are going to be Scottsdale, number one, Phoenix, number two, and Mesa, number three. So great job to all of these different cities. And let's try to get some people from Avondale for next month. And we're working on that. Don't worry. Okay, whole question number 2 is what's your role with the community? So, 65% of you are board members for your community. 19% are interested homeowners and 14% are community managers. So, we have, you know, a, a large, you know, majority of board members, but we also have a number of community managers, which is awesome, and also um, a higher number of interested homeowners than we usually have. So, welcome to all of you. Okay, let's dive right into our topic today because we have a lot to talk about today. Basically, what we're talking about today is money and money matters and what are the different aspects of running an association that we're financial um, savvy and financial knowledge is important. And so I think the first topic we want to talk about because it's most relevant and timely right now is the HOA or condo budget for your community for 2024. So some of you may already have started working on your budget. Some of you may be finished with it. Some of you don't even have it on your radar. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, what a budget is. So every year, a community association, so whether you're a condo or a plant community, Creates an itemized summary of the anticipated income that you're going to get from assessments or maybe any other, let's say, a restaurant or something on your property and the expenses for your association for each fiscal year. Why do you do that? Because you need to know how much money you have coming in and how much money you have going out. Why is that important? Because you want to have enough money coming in to pay for your expenses. And so a great way, the reason why we do this in the fall every year is because typically we're going to be setting the assessment rates for 2024, you know, in the last two months of 2023, we're going to be notifying the owners of, you know, if there's going to be an increase in assessments or if there's going to be um, assessments are going to stay the same. And so the best way to do this is to look at objectively through a 2024 budget, This is the income we have coming in, and these are the expenses. And if they don't match, well, then you need to make an adjustment. Most association documents do require that the board of directors adopt a budget for each fiscal year. A question that I get very often, so I want to just mention it right now, is what do we do if we can't, as a board, agree on a budget or we don't have time to get it done before January 1st, 2024? What most associations do and what best practices would be, would be just to continue with the same numbers for 2023. So, just keep that budget going into 2024 until you can agree on a budget for 2024. So, the numbers for 2023 are just going to get pushed to 2024. Now, that's not a good thing. Why? Because we all know that the expenses of the association are going up every year. Sometimes, there's an incremental increase by your management company. You know, inflation has caused the cost of goods Mm -hmm. and services to go up. If you don't adopt a new budget for 2024, factoring in those increases, what's going to happen is you're never going to have enough money for your association. You're going to be robbing Peter to pay Paul. And so you're going to be operating with the same expenses, but less dollars higher expenses, excuse me, but less dollars coming in as income. And ultimately, what we see happen with associations if that continues from year to year to year is that we start to see deferred maintenance and the overall maintenance of the association just starts to go down because you just don't have the money to fix um, something when it's useful life is up. So, that's not a good thing. So, bottom line is you really should be working hard in September, October, November, and December to come up with a 2024 budget. And we're going to tell you how to do that today. Most associations have a fiscal year that's the calendar year. So, December 31st is the end of your fiscal year, January 1 is your new fiscal year. Typically, the board's going to start working on the budget for your association right now. We're in the zone. Right now, between September, October, November, and December, or where all of this should be coming together. A good goal for your association would be that the budget is rep- approved by October, November, or December at the absolute latest, so that the association can provide notice to your members about whether or not there's going to be a fee increase so they can plan accordingly for 2024. So, who prepares the budget? You know, it changes for every association, but I would say that if you have a management company, Typically, what happens is the management company will create the first draft of the budget and bring it to the board's attention. Sometimes you have an active financial committee or a budget committee. And in some cases, that budget committee or financial committee is the one that creates the first draft of it, not the management company. Sometimes the treasurer or maybe the president does it, um, creates the budget. If your association doesn't have a management company, so the norm is that the management company takes the first stab at it. And usually, the management company has like a budget expert for the for their company, and they're the one that's putting together all the budgets and looking at the year-to-date budget for 2023 and seeing you know where the association was over budget or under budget, making the adjustments correctly. Each association should check their governing documents to determine the requirements for preparing the budget and whether the members are required to participate in the budgeting procedure or whether the board is solely responsible for preparing and approving the budget. In some cases, if you're a condominium, the budget may need to be approved by the membership at a regular board meeting. And so you want to make sure you're checking your documents to see if you're one of those condos that has that requirement. It's an added step, and if you do have that requirement, you really need to get on the budget early and create it early for the next fiscal year. Okay, so once the budget, the first draft of the budget is presented to the board, what happens is the board of directors should review the budget and discuss it and make edits if needed, and then ultimately the goal is that a majority of the board is going to approve the final budget. Now, as I mentioned in my introductory remarks here today, I have served on and off my board now for I think 13 or 14 years, and so some years it's easy, some years it's not easy to get the budget approved. Um, Surprisingly, this year we approved the budget for 2024 in July or August, which is actually kind of shocking. Other years we've gone right to November and December and there's a lot of fighting and people are upset about, you know, the increases, et cetera. But this year we were able to really hone in on what expenses we thought were going to go up based upon 2023 numbers. And we were able to agree um, on the budget for my association. And so what's the typical procedure? So typically somebody introduces the budget on your board, whether it's the board member, maybe it's the treasurer, maybe it's the finance committee, maybe it's the manager, and you discuss it. Um, sometimes it's introduced and then you let it marinate until next month's meeting. And then you come back ready to give feedback and to vote on it um, or make changes to it. Um, so it really just depends. Every association is different in this way. Some associations. They you know, rely on their management company's expertise and the management company gives them a suggestion and, and they rubber stamp it. Other associations really do a deep dive on the budget and they spend time discussing it line by line. It really just depends on the level of detail that your board wants to have on the budget for next year. A couple of things to think about also at this time are do we need membership approval of the budget? Remember, I talked a few minutes ago about some condos if it's in your CCNR that the members have to approve the budget. That's an extra step after the board approves the budget. Then the next thing would be to just notice at a regular board meeting that the 2024 budget is gonna be discussed. And you know, the way that the law reads is that yes, more people object to the budget at this next board meeting. Then approve the budget, then it's not approved. So have I ever in 27, almost 27 years, seen that happen? Never. Um, I've never seen the homeowners essentially block a budget. So it's very unlikely that something like that would happen. The budget should be, like I said, reviewed and ultimately approved by the board of directors. When you're discussing the budget, this these are some things that I think is important. Whoever is introducing the budget to the board, and the homeowners are in attendance too, of course, so they're listening to this sometimes very carefully because they're worried about finances. So, first things first, when you're presenting the budget, present the backup information on how the line items were determined and how estimates were obtained. Provide simple information that's easy for everybody to understand. Discuss only the most important items, like if the line items aren't changing from 2023 to 2024. You really don't need to spend a lot of time talking about it, but like, let's say that your electric bill is going to go up twenty-five percent. I think you you your electric funds that you are putting aside for the budget are going to go up by twenty-five percent. I think you really do owe it to the board and to the members of your community to explain how and why you increase the line item for the expense for electricity. And likely it's going to be because you looked at what happened in 2023 and we underfunded or budgeted for what the actual needs were going to be. Um, talk about trends that are going to help show the future of the association's expenditures. So I think we all can agree that insurance is going up, electricity is going up, water is going up. You often will have an incremental fee increase from your management company maybe your pool company, your landscaping company, and that's already in the contract. So you also want to reach out to your vendors, like your lawyer, to find out, is there going to be a fee increase in 2024? Is it anticipated? And factor all of that into the budget and then be able to explain it as you go through the budget. Be open and ready to answer questions. You may have a new board member who has never been through the budgeting process before. And if somebody isn't understanding it or has a lot of questions, what you might want to do is say to that board member, hey, let's have a sidebar after this meeting, and I can go through this and do a deep dive with you for whoever's introducing the budget. We have a great cheat sheet called Budgeting for Community Associations, which I highly recommend that associations that are going through this process consider um, taking a look at as you're um, navigating the 2024 budget. And we're gonna be sharing that with you on Zoom and on Facebook Live. And remember, you can always find all of our cheat sheets on our homepage of our webpage at .com. Okay, so let's actually talk about what are the steps, we're backing it out a little bit, right, to complete the budgeting process. So if you're actually the person that's doing it, creating the budget for the first review and board, what I would do is first take a look at last year's budget and the records and compare the differences between what was budgeted and what was actually spent. So look at the year to date budget, you know, in September of 2023, and look at where the variances are. Think about what are the reasons for the variances. So maybe you had a, a pipe burst on your common areas. It's unlikely that that will happen again. And so maybe that made a Few outlier months where the water bill was so much higher than it would normally be. Or maybe the trend is that we're seeing that electric is significantly more expensive going forward, and that's not going to change. Or maybe, you know, we were seeing that we give increases in wages to our employees, uh, factoring that into the budget. Look at last year's records of 2023 and then think about going forward. Really think about, okay, is that going to be an increase or a decrease that is gonna carry through into 2024? Think about what the needs are for the community for next year. Does the annual assessment need to be increased because we're seeing an increase in delinquencies and owners who aren't paying their assessments? Or are we seeing an increased cost of operation in the association to pay bills, to meet the demands of higher wages that are being required to keep and retain quality employees? Is it anticipated that the board's going to need to make new expenditures that are going to benefit the community? Like are we going to have to buy a golf cart or that we haven't had before? You know, or are we going to outsource some sort of a service where we handled it in-house before and it may cost more money? And then really look at the best way to do this is you do it on an Excel spreadsheet because with the formulas already, you know, entered in there and I have a sample Excel spreadsheet for a budget. If anybody wants it, all you need to do is email me at emolcahy at molcahylawfirm.com and I'm happy to give it to you. The great thing about doing a budget and an Excel spreadsheet is that if the formula is already in there, which my sample one has all the formulas in there, it automatically computes it. The great thing is, is let's say that you compute a 28% increase in electricity, right? It's going to automatically just enter that in and numbers all add up at the bottom and increases the expenses based upon the number that you put in. Also, it's really easy to balance the budget when you're using an Excel spreadsheet because you can get you know, the total expenses and then you see up in the income, you can just keep changing the number, making it higher and higher and higher until it actually meets the expense number. So you have a zero line budget, which is what we're aiming for. You know. Also, we need to think about the future. What are the needs for the association for the future? Do we need to be making reserve contributions to fund long-term capital projects for your community? Do we need to have our reserve study updated? Which incidentally, I think a good rule of thumb on this would be getting your reserve study updated about every five years. And if so, hey, that's probably going to be somewhere between $800 and $2,000 for that new reserve study. Does a larger percentage of the annual assessment need to be directed to the reserve budget? So we need to do have a line item on the budget where every month, like my association where I live, every month we put $35,000 into our reserve account for our association. And that should all be included in the budget. It shouldn't just be like, oh, well, if we have an extra 10 grand this month, let's put it in the reserve. No, we need to be planning that every month based upon the numbers that are given to you by a reserve specialist who's evaluated how much money you need in the reserve. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that towards the end of the presentation. Asking your association vendors questions. Like I said, are you going to increase your rates in 2024? Look at the contracts with the association. as like I said before, maybe the management company has a step-up percentage each year that you pay more each year the contract moves forward. Maybe the landscaping company has a step-up or the pool company. So you need to factor that step-up in terms of how much the expense is going to be for that vendor. You also need to plan for the unexpected and miscellaneous expenses. There should be a line item in there for miscellaneous expenses. A good way to come up with that number is look at the past two or three years and look at things that came up that weren't budgeted for and consider maybe it's 10 grand, maybe it's 50 grand, maybe it's 100 grand. It just depends on what the needs are of your community and what types of things have come up in the past that were unexpected. Then after you do all that information, you're going to put that information into you know, a spreadsheet. And like I said, the Excel spreadsheet is the best one. If you need a sample budget, like I said, I can send it to you and it'll show you how we divide up the categories um, and how the formulas are written so that the numbers all add up and make it really easy for you if you're creating a budget. Most management companies already have a formula in place and their own spreadsheet. So if you're using theirs, um, I would continue to use theirs. But if you're an association that's self-managed or you are doing it yourself, the budget for 2024, my spreadsheet could be very helpful to you. And so basically, like I said, after you do all this hard work on the front end on the budget, then it kind of comes to the fun part. Uh, where you put it into the spreadsheet, put the numbers in the spreadsheet, what each line item is for expenses, and then each line item for income. And then you look to see, is it balancing? And do we need to increase the assessments? Do we need to lower some of the expenses in certain categories? You play with that a little bit so that you can get that budget to a zero so that your income coming in goes out in expenses and you know there's no leftover money at the end of the year. Okay, so that's just kind of the quick 411 on the budgeting process. Again, I'm going to direct you to our cheat sheet on budgeting for community associations. It's a great overview and could be very helpful for you for your association as you're going through the budgeting process. Um, Also remember that our firm is always here to help you if you have any issues with regard to your association's budget or your board is at a, a dysfunctional standstill and you can't Um, get a budget approved because there's differing views on how expenses of the income are are being um, portrayed in the budget. Bring me in to help. Um, I have worked with many associations that basically can't get along and need an independent third party to come in and evaluate things and give recommendations so that all of you can move forward and get out of the dysfunction. Okay, the next topic we're going to be talking about is reserve studies and reserve accounts. So in our budgeting process, we talked about, you know, reserve studies and reserve accounts. Just as a starting point, we're going to start with a poll. And so just out of curiosity, want to make sure everybody's still awake, 34 minutes into the presentation here today, poll number three, which is, has your association conducted a reserve study for your community? either yes, no, or I don't know. And if you're joining us on Facebook Live, if you wouldn't mind just answering that question in the comment section on Facebook Live, we'll factor in your feedback too. Okay. So we're going to kind of move forward while I'm waiting for the poll results. Actually, they're already in. So 75% of you have already conducted a reserve study. That's awesome. 16% say no, and 9% say I don't know. Okay. So I'm very happy to hear that, you know, the 133 people live on Zoom and maybe 12 or so more on Facebook Live, that we have such a good representation of you that have a reserve study. Let's kind of back it out a little bit and talk about what is a reserve study? What does Arizona Law State say about reserves and reserve studies? And what are best practices for your community? As a starting point, we have a great cheat sheet called uh, Reserve Funds for Community Associations. And we're going to be sharing that with you on Zoom and Facebook Live. That is a go-to resource that gives you the 411 on everything you need to know about reserves. What are they? What's a reserve study? How much do they cost? And we're going to be talking a little bit about the main points on that here today. So I encourage you to take a look at that cheat sheet. Um, And as always, you can have uh, these cheat sheets, all of our cheat sheets, over 65 of them, um, on our firm's website at mulcahylawfirm.com. Okay, let's talk about reserve funding. What's the purpose of reserve funding? Um, The purpose is to allow an association to plan for the repair, maintenance, and replacement of the association's assets as the community ages. So it's kind of like a savings account for your association to plan for future capital improvements that are going to fail or are going to age and need to be replaced over time. And so this reserve funding is a way for associations to spread out the the money that's needed to pay for an item. So it Instead of going with like a special assessment for $25,000 per unit per lot, basically what it does is it just allows the association incrementally to put aside money every year so that when the useful life of the pool or the clubhouse or the jacuzzi or the tennis courts or the pickleball courts or the volleyball court or the pavement in the community or the blacktop in the community or the entrance signs or the the gates that go up and down, it provides an opportunity for us to plan for, okay, how long are these useful before they're going to need to be replaced? And then we put aside money each year based upon a reserve study to um, plan for that future. And what I always say is that associations that have to have large special assessments, it usually shows a lack of planning by prior boards. And the only way we can fund this is by doing a big special assessment, which I think I can tell you from being in the trenches for almost 27 years, people don't like special assessments. People don't like boards that levy special assessments. And sometimes people refuse to vote for a special assessment or vote no for a special assessment, which really puts the board in a pickle because we have this amenity that is falling apart and we can't get the owners to approve a special assessment to fix it. You know, the best fiscal management for your association involves the association, number one, having a reserve study done by a accredited, licensed, bonded reserve company. And what they'll do is they will provide you with a great reserve study that shows you what your amenities are that are capital improvements, And it shows you how to fund those based upon the useful life of those amenities. And it just gives you a plan on how much money to put aside each year, how much money you should have in your account, your reserve account each year to be funded. It gives you percentage ranges. You should be aiming for having your reserve be somewhere in like the 70 to 80% funded to be considered like a healthy, financially healthy association. A couple of things that I I want to mention is that Arizona is a little bit behind on reserves, addressing reserve studies, how much money to have in the reserve, requirement to have a reserve study, requirement to have reserves in place for your association. Arizona law does not require reserves or a reserve study. And so that's important to know. There are other states that do have some requirements pertaining to reserves and reserve studies. Arizona does not it's coming in the future. It's just not the law right now. However, Arizona does say that planned communities and condominiums in Arizona with 50 or more lots or units are required to disclose to purchasers the amount of money held in reserves and provide a copy of the most recent reserve study, if any, in a disclosure statement. Uh, pursuant to ARS 33-1806 for planned communities and 33-1260 for condominiums. So interesting that Arizona, the state of Arizona doesn't require reserves, like a reserve account, and doesn't require us to ha- have a reserve study. But interestingly, we do need to tell buyers about how much money we have in the reserve and also provide them with a copy of the reserve study so that they're making an informed decision when they purchase a unit or lot in a community. Interesting tidbit there. If you're, sadly, buyers coming into your community and they see that you're maybe 20 or 30% funded in your reserve. They can look at how much money is in the reserve and then look at the reserve study for that year and you see, oh, we only have 250000 and we're supposed to have $1.1 million. What is going through the mind of the buyer when they see that? A savvy buyer is going to think, I'm paying in the future. I will be paying in the form of a special assessment to fix all of these capital improvements in the community. And so maybe they can negotiate a better price, or maybe they just take a pass on the deal because they don't want to deal with such a low reserve, knowing that there's going to be a huge financial investment in the future. Okay. So let's go back a little bit and talk about the reserve study. So I mentioned briefly that the reserve study should be done by um, a licensed and bonded reserve specialist company. I do not recommend doing do-it-yourself reserve studies that you can find on the internet for $99.99 or $199.99. They just don't cut it because you may not know all the amenities that you're responsible for maintaining. And, and the board as laypersons are entering the information into this formula that these online companies use for reserve studies. And you really need a professional that this is their entire job is helping associations with planning for the future in the form of a reserve study. So we highly recommend that you use a professional licensed and bonded reserve study company. And again, the reserve study is just going to be your budgeting guide that's going to provide a plan that shows how much is reasonable to place in reserves for a specific replacement or maintenance project. When you follow what the reserves require, so let's say, give our example, you know, let's say that maybe you have $500,000 in your reserve account right now and, and your documents say that you're supposed to have $100,000. And so when you have the reserve study, they give you an analysis of how you can catch up, how you can get to where you need to be Um, And in most cases, they get you caught up in like five years. A good example is my association. We had, when I got reelected to our board, I got appointed to our board actually the first time after I'd served on it previously, we were down to like our last $250,000 in our reserve. And we were supposed to have a reserve of like $3.5 million. So I mean, that's like, whoa, way grossly underfunded. And between 2016, when I got back on my board, and about 2020 or 2021, we had it funded up to like 70 or 80% of where we need it to be. So it can be done. It's incremental and you have to be very disciplined. Like we put that 33 or $35,000 away every month, make sure that we are funding the reserve the way that we need to be so that um, when our big expenditures come up, we have the money allocated for that line item on the reserve and we can pay it without having a special assessment um, of the owners. Basically, a reserve study, what it provides is an inventory of assets for your association, the location of the assets, the current age of the assets, and how much remaining life they have before they need to be repaired, maintained, or replaced. The cost to replace each asset when necessary. The cost of repair or maintenance, like painting association fences or painting the clubhouse or resurfacing the pool area. And then finally, it gives you a calculation of the monthly contribution required to have proper funding for repair, maintenance, or replacement when needed. So it's just, it's probably one of the most valuable tools in your board member toolbox to help you plan for the future so that you don't have to go through that pain of having a special assessment vote and having all the homeowners be angry that they're having to write, you know, a large check to the community that they weren't planning on having to write. One thing I want to mention is as you're doing your budget so these there's some crossover topics here for sure as you're doing your budget for 2024 if you are cutting expenses really be careful about cutting your reserve contribution and here's why because you're setting yourself up if you're doing that every year you're setting yourself up for a big special assessment in the future and so we really encourage boards to Do the incremental increases each year to your assessment rate. You know, you should be doing at least cost of living increases if your documents allow you to do that with ownership. And the worst thing I I hear from boards sometimes is, we're, we're doing so well, we haven't raised our assessments in 12 years. And I'm thinking to myself, that is the worst thing you could have possibly just told me because I now know that you are not financially savvy. You are not looking at the expenses for your association that are going up every single year, and now you are behind and need to play catch up. And it's just a really bad place to put your association in, especially like if a lot of board members say, "I just want to get off this board; I don't want to be on it anymore." Um, you don't want to turn it over to the next group that's coming in to run your board with a whole bunch of problems. So, be fiscally sound. Be you know manage this in a fiscally sensible way, and the way to do that is. Get a reserve study, follow the recommendations of the reserve company. I mean, maybe you say to the reserve company, hey, we don't want to be 100% reserved, 100% funded in the reserve. We're happy with 60 70 or 80% funded. Um, and then have them back it out and tell you how much money you need to put in each year to get there over a period of time if you're behind on anything. How much do reserve studies cost? I mean, really, it could be anywhere from like eight hundred bucks to three or four or five thousand dollars, depending on how large your association is and how many amenities that you have. What are some reasons for establishing the reserve fund? I think we talked about this before. Buyers aren't going to want to buy in your community if they see that disparity between what the reserve study says and how much you actually have in the reserve. It shows that there's going to be a special assessment in the future. And it shows that the board hasn't been managing fiscally sound way. It's a planning tool. Another benefit of the reserve study: it's a planning tool, so that there's less stress on the board and less stress on owners having to come up with a large payment in a short period of time to meet a special assessment. It also meets some fiduciary and legal requirements that you're acting in the best interests of the association if you're serving as a board member. It distributes evenly the contributions of prior members, and current members. So it's it's kind of unfair if somebody's lived in the association for 30 years, right? And then they sell their home or their unit to, you know, a third party. And then bam, third party just moved in, has only been to the pool once, and now they're paying a $30,000 special assessment, right? Um, and so it's fair in that it spreads it out over the history of the association, the history of the owners, so that everybody's paying their fair share a reserve fund minimizes or negates the need for special assessments. I've said that multiple times here today. And a reserve fund, having a reserve fund that is adequately funded enhances the resale values because associations have to disclose information about the reserve fund, how much money you have in there, and then also a copy of the reserve study. So, it If the savvy buyer is looking at this and they see that you're 60 or 70% funded or 80% funded, which is kind of the sweet spot for reserves to show that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing adequately in terms of funding for the future, it's just a good sign. And it's going to enhance your resale values for owners that are looking to sell their properties. We talked a little bit about how much a reserve study costs, what should not be included in a reserve study... Budgeting for assets that would have an estimated useful life equal to or greater than the community itself are typically excluded from reserve funding. Some examples would be like the complete replacement of elevators. You know, maybe some insignificant expenses would also not be included. Although I will say this on the elevators, my association, we do include that. Um, We also include pipes, even though the pipes may have been there for 50 years, we're thinking ahead that the pipes are we're going to have to resection the pipes and, and replace them in the, in the next 20 years for sure. Oftentimes, natural disasters and accidents, we don't have an line item for that in the reserve, so that's typically not going to be um, included in the reserve study. However, there might be insurance coverage for those types of items. Okay. So we are moving right along. Our next topic is we're going to talk about how to read HOA and condo financials. So probably the the most important thing to think about when you are serving on your board is that you have a fiduciary responsibility to your community to make sure that you're taking a look at the financials of the association at least once a month. Now, the treasurer, I was the treasurer for my association for several years. They have a higher scrutiny. Um, when I was serving as the treasurer of my association, I was spending about an hour a week looking at the finances of the association and signing checks for the association myself. We had two signatures; two board members were signing every check that was over a predetermined amount, of like a thousand dollars. So, if you're a treasurer for your association, you need to have a m- much more heightened heightened um, analysis of the financials. If you're a board member, you still need to be looking at the financials. You can't just count on the treasurer to do it. A couple things that you should be thinking about um, when you're dealing with HOA financials. Number one, you should be looking at the year-to-date budget um, every single month. Are you over? Are you under? Are we going to have enough money at the end of the year? What are some things that we can do to handle any over-budget items? You want to look at the reserve study especially when you are looking at what types of things need to be done in the upcoming year, meaning that their useful life is expired and they need to be replaced. Um, You should be having an audit review or compilation done every year for your association. That's the law in Arizona. You have to file state and federal taxes annually, so keep that on your radar. You should be looking at the board packet carefully, like the financial statement, the check register the um, bank statement for the association and looking for unusual things in there, like wire transfers to third parties that shouldn't be happening or checks, corporate checks being made out to personal individuals without any backup or documentation. it was like petty cash or if it was getting reimbursed for light bulbs or whatever. And so kind of a a rule of thumb, I would say, is if you're a treasurer, I would spend at least an hour a week looking at the financials for your association. If you're a board member, you should be spending at least somewhere between 10 and 30 minutes a month, usually before the board meeting, looking carefully through the financials and making sure that everything appears to be in order and asking questions at the meeting. Something isn't adding up. Ask a question like, hey, what is this wire transfer And I want more information on this, or I don't understand why our reserve is going down. We used to have 1.7 million in there, and now we only have 1.2. Why is that? And so just being savvy and keeping your eyes open and reviewing things is really important. Okay, another thing that's very important, if you're a treasurer of your association, you need to know how to read a balance sheet. And so we're going to share with you a great resource um, on how to read an HOA or Condo Association balance sheet. We're going to be sharing that on Zoom and also on Facebook Live. Remember, if you're new to the board and you haven't had a lot of experience or you're a new treasurer and you haven't had a lot of experience in dealing with corporate financial books and records... Make sure that you're attending seminars on um, how to read a financial statement and make sure that you're reaching out to your trusted advisors, your CPA, your lawyer. Um, I've gone in and done boot camps for association boards that want to understand better how to handle finances and how we can maintain a level of scrutiny on the finances and what are some warning signs of things that we need to be looking for and just a full explanation. Like what I've done when I've gone in is I get the board packet and I just go through it with them and I say, okay, page one, this is what I'm looking for. Page two, this is what I'm looking for. And we just do it in kind of a boot camp way where it's typically on Zoom and we're all on there together and questions pop up, I answer them and we move on. And don't be scared of the financials. It's not something that's so complicated that somebody that doesn't have a master's in business You don't need that. You just need to be aware and looking at things every month and asking questions and understanding how the financials work for an association. Okay, our last topic for today is always kind of a scary topic. And people get a little bit freaked out when I teach this only as a class. So I always kind of throw it in at the end. And basically what this is, is how to prevent theft and fraud and embezzlement of your HOA and condo funds. You know, if you think this can't happen to you, I'm going to tell you it can happen to you. I've been in our industry in Arizona for almost 27 years. I have seen numerous instances of issues with board members stealing money, management company employees stealing money, management companies stealing money from associations. And if you just Google HOA, or condo and fraud and embezzlement, you're gonna come up with so many hits, your head's gonna spin. It's something that happens in our industry. So the purpose of bringing up this topic is not to scare you, but just to tell you what are the warning signs that you should be looking for and what are the things that you should be raising your eyebrows on and being concerned about. These are the warning signs, okay? So what, what does misappropriation of funds look like? Sometimes it's someone just taking outright cash just $2,000 check payable to the manager or payable to the board member, no explanation. Or transferring funds electronically to that person. Baked expenses, another very common thing where they submit a receipt for something, but it actually wasn't for the association. Paying former employees or non existent employees wages. Transferring funds to another community, a management company, or the manager without justification using association funds as collateral on a personal loan. Shocking? That happens. Where they'll send the bank statement of the association to the bank that they're trying to get a loan for. Maybe it's a board member, maybe it's a manager and the bank is relying on, you know, the association's the money that's in the association's bank account and they're pretending like it's their money or they're somehow related to this and therefore That should give them the ability to get a loan with with a you know or line of credit, showing investments on the financial statements as certificates of deposit when they are actually non-existent, making up accounts. So oh yeah, we've got four hundred thousand in these CDs, and then the four hundred thousand dollars has been siphoned out over time. And so making sure that you're having you're seeing the actual document from the bank or from the company that's organizing the the CDs is very important. Another thing we see is manager paying their personal bills with association funds. Okay. What are some warning signs that should be danger signs for your community? If you see these things, these are warning signs that something isn't right and that there's possible fraud or embezzlement going on. You're never given the bank statement or reconciliation. So they're missing. You don't see them for many months. Or maybe the manager writes up their own personal summary of. What's in the bank account? No, you need to see the bank statement and the reconciliations every single month. General ledgers that aren't balancing, missing an altered document. So if you're getting a bank statement, a copy of the bank statement, and it's obvious that somebody's like copying over things, that should be a warning sign to you right there. I want to see the original or I want to get electronic access to the bank statements Unexplained cash shortages. This is so prevalent where the association's getting a bunch of overdraft charges. You're getting panic calls from the manager. I need you to sign this check tonight because if we don't, the electricity is going to be turned off. Okay, that should be a warning sign to you. Something isn't right here. Unauthorized credits to receivable accounts. So... Maybe somebody owes the association money, and hmm, all of a sudden, guess what? There's a big credit. Well, maybe you need to check into it. If this is kind of like a deadbeat that you're like, oh, that would never happen. Increased past due accounts, meaning that we owe everybody money. We're two months behind on paying the lawyer, three months behind on paying the landscaper. All should be warning signs. You look payments to vendors. So I know I sign checks for my association. So I know how many bills we have each month, electric bills and water bills. If they slip in an extra one, I would catch it. Would you? If you're signing checks or you're looking at that, you should know how many meters there are at approximately, you know, how many checks are being issued. Unexplained overdraft and other bank charges. We talked about that a little bit. Unauthorized purchase transactions and payments for unspecified services. So they're using the Home Depot card for your association or the credit card for your association. And you can't, ex- you don't know why it ABC nails for a manicure, right? I mean, that just doesn't make sense. These are all common things that we see. Okay. So what are our tips? Now I've scared you, right? So let's talk about what can we do to prevent this going forward as a board? So keep association records up to date. Do not let your management company treasurer fall behind on giving you copies of your bank statements and your financial statements. Even if you're not having a board meeting, still require that they provide you with the board packet on financials. Make sure that the reserve funds are controlled by the entire board, not by the management company alone, not by one board member alone. In order to move money out of your reserve count, which should be your most you know, significant amount of money in one place, you want to make sure that you assign a control of that to the entire board. So the only way that money gets moved is if the entire board signs minutes saying the money gets moved. Make sure that monthly financial reports are prepared and made available for board review. And in the monthly report, this should be right in the packet, a balance sheet, statement of revenues and expenses a comparison of actual revenues and expenditures to budget amounts. This is known as a year-to-date budget. The bank statement, CD statements, anything that pertains to the financials, You, the bank statements, they shouldn't just give you a couple pages of it. You should get every page of it, including canceled checks. Another thing that gets me a lot of heat from management companies when I say this, but I, I don't care, I think it's the right thing to do, is required two signatures, including at least one board member, on all checks or transfers greater than a pre-designated amount. For my association, it's $1,000. So anything over $1,000, we need two signatures of board members. Prior to signing checks, whoever's signing them, make sure you put your glasses on. Make sure you actually read the backup information. So the checks usually on top, you look at the check, you look at the amount, and the person that's being paid, you flip it over, you look at the bill. Is it past due? That's a warning sign, there could be a problem. Is the amount that we're paying the amount that's owed? Is it our association? I've had so many cases over the past twenty seven years where the management company is having association A mistakenly pay the bill for association B. At one point in a long time ago, we had you know a situation that we were made aware of that a management company paid a water bill, which is, as we all know, very expensive, for like fourteen years the wrong association. And then the association finally discovered it. And guess what? The association that they were paying it for didn't have the money to pay them back. Just a mess. That all could have been avoided if the board members signed the checks and reviewed backup information. Review bank statements and reconciliations on a monthly basis. Keep only a small amount of petty cash on hand and in a secure place, and then have a procedure for keeping track of petty cash. Require receipts." regularly review delinquent receivable balances so that you have an idea of okay who owes this money and have a, keep an eye on that if there's some sort of weird deviation you know something goes away it's something that you should be asking questions about make sure that you have adequate fidelity insurance to cover the volunteers and employees who handle funds and also enough to cover if the management company or your manager steals money from your association arrange for directors and officers insurance in the event that the board is accused of financial mismanagement. If maybe somebody steals money from the association, the board could be sued for your manager taking money from the association because you weren't carefully overseeing them. So you want to have the fidelity bond to cover the money that was taken. And then you want to have D&O insurance to cover the board in the event that you're sued because of mismanaging, not, not watching carefully the manager or maybe another board member. So that's dual levels of insurance that you really need. Um, don't forget about that annual audit review or compilation that should be done annually for your association. That is the law in Arizona. Unfortunately, the law is kind of loosey-goosey and it says that you only have to have an audit done by a CPA if your bylaws require that. But best practices, of course, would be to have an audit every year if your association can afford it by a CPA. Here's a really important tip. If you are finding these red flags and you're worried about them and you don't know who to turn to, or maybe you find out actually that there are funds missing, like you ask to see the CD and you go to the bank and you find out, hey, there's no CD. What do you do? Okay, here's a very important tip you want to immediately reach out to your trusted advisors so your attorney would be you know one of the trusted advisors that you should go to with this problem make sure that your attorney isn't going to tell whoever the perpetrator is right like my client is the association i my client is never the management company so if you tell me something bad about the management company it stays between us you are my client But sometimes that relationship with attorney and management company gets a little too cozy and you got to be careful of that. If you are in the situation where there has been an embezzlement of funds or there's lots of red flags that lead you to believe that there's problem, reach out to your attorney, reach out to your other trusted advisor would be your insurance agent. Get the three of you on a call and troubleshoot. You will want to talk about what kind of insurance coverage you have, We want to talk about um, having an audit done, a special audit that would be um, like a fraud audit to determine, prove that this person actually took the money, like a higher level audit. Do we want to go to the police? I've had associations that have gone to the police to press criminal charges against a manager. We have been through this process with associations, and I am here as a resource to help you if you ever find yourself in this situation. It's not fun, but we will get through it and we will help you resolve the issues and get you back to a place where this isn't going to happen again and make you whole with the money that's been taken away through insurance and other means. Okay. We have a great cheat sheet on tips for preventing theft and fraud of association funds. And I highly recommend that you take a look at that, um, especially if you have an inkling that something is not going right at your community. And just a parting thought on this: just remember that diligence is the most important thing. Stay on top of you know reviewing the financials for your association because what studies have found in embezzlement cases in businesses is that there has to be a triangle in order to you know in order to have somebody embezzle money from you. And the triangle is is that the person that's embezzling it has a need, like maybe they're going through a divorce or maybe they don't have enough money. Or maybe they think they're being underpaid, right? That's the top corner. The next corner is that it's things are loosey-goosey, you know, and there's no financial accountability. Nobody's checking things, you know, that I can transfer money in and out of the account as the manager. And I have a lot of authority to do that. And then the third thing is, is that we're asleep at the switch with the board. Like we're not watching things and the manager knows that. So it's the manager who has a need or maybe the board member has a need. Things are loosey-goosey, it's really easy to take the money, and then no one's watching. We want to make sure that that doesn't ever happen to your association. So being vigilant and reviewing things and looking at the suggestions that we have in this cheat sheet that we talked about here today will protect your association so that it does not happen to you in the future. Okay, right now we have, I'm sorry, I'm about 11 minutes over, but we had a lot of important topics today and I, I never want to skip that fraud and uh, kicking of association funds because it's it's scary, but it's so needed to talk about. Okay, so right now we have 23 questions. So what we are going to do is we are going to just go through them in rapid fire like we always do. Um, and I'll start with question number one. If a vote HOA, one of the various online voting mechanisms can be used to elect board of directors, can it also be used as a mechanism for removal of a director? So I would say yes. So vote HOA. There's other companies that do this. Electronic voting is allowed in Arizona. Just make sure that you're giving people that can't participate electronically because they don't have a computer or they aren't computer savvy, make sure that you're giving them a way to vote by paper ballot. And of course, the law also requires that if somebody wants to come to the meeting and vote in person, they should be allowed to do that um, as well. Question number two, in our community, the capital reserves are very low and we face some major maintenance expenses in the next five years? What is the best way to increase capital reserves? Assessments or monthly HOA dues or both? My association was in this exact same situation. So basically what you should do, in my opinion, is get your reserve study updated. Have the reserve company plan it out for you in terms of how can we get the reserve back to where we need it to be? And it may be through increasing the assessment rate and then taking that extra money that you're using, um, that you're getting in from increased assessments and putting that right into your reserve, or it may be through having a special assessment just to fund the reserve. So talk to your you know, reserve advisor, um, also bring in your attorney to help you with this because the combination of the reserve specialist and your attorney, we can really help point you in the right direction so that... You can turn things around in the next five years and it, it can be done. Like I said, in my community, we went from like $250,000 to now over $3 million in less than five years. Question three What is the best way to build an, oh, and by the way, in my community, no special assessment. We just did it through increasing the regular assessment. Okay, question number three What is the best way to build an emergency fund for our operating account and what is a target amount? We don't want to have any special assessments. So we we'll kind of talked a little bit about this under the budgeting. So it's just a line item in your budget that you add in every year. And maybe you call it like emergency fund or unanticipated expenses. And I think the best way to do it is to look at, you know, what those unanticipated expenses were. Maybe if you can go back a decade, that's great. Go back five years, go back two years, and then guesstimate based upon the information that you have. Okay. Well, we are always about 20 grand each year in unanticipated expenses. So maybe you want to put in 20 or 25 this year, just to make sure that we're, you know, within that zone and we don't have to rob Peter to pay Paul and take money away from another line item budgeted thing. So the best way to do it is put it in your budget and the target amount, look at prior years, see you know, what your unanticipated expenses were. Next question, number four If my HOA did not hold an annual meeting and election, 2018 to 2022, what is their liability? How were the remaining board of directors able to operate during that period without any open meetings? Okay, so a couple of things. If you haven't had an annual meeting in four years or 18, 20 25, five years, it's problematic, right? because either your quorum for the annual meeting is so high that we need to amend the bylaws to make that lower, or people think everything's going great and they're not coming to the annual meeting. That could be a good thing. Or people just aren't engaged and don't care. But really, you should be having an annual meeting each year. And one of your responsibilities as the board is to evaluate, why are we not getting a quorum at the annual meeting? And what can we do to get a quorum at the annual meeting? So, first things first, we have a cheat sheet called Annual Meetings. Um, you can find it on our webpage at Mulcahylawfirm.com. Uh, we have tips on how to increase participation at the annual meeting in that publication. A couple ways to get an increase in participation to get a quorum would be talk about a big special assessment. People are gonna come. Talk about increasing the assessment, people are going to come. Is there liability for the maybe have a social event? People might come for that in conjunction with the annual meeting. Bring in a guest speaker. Talk about something really controversial in your association. Put that on the agenda that, hey, we're going to be discussing this just as a draw to get people to come. Is there liability if your board hasn't conducted a meeting in, from 2018 to 2022? Well, I don't know the specifics about why you haven't had an annual meeting. I know a lot of associations did not have an annual meeting in 2020 due to the pandemic. Is there liability? I don't know. Usually what most bylaws say is that the board that was elected prior to the annual meeting or annual meeting attempt in 2018, they hold their office until the new board is seated. That old board is continuing on until you can get a quorum and get a new board in. Again, I don't know about the liability because I don't know the circumstances here, but I mean, assuming your bylaws allow that continuity, then you should be fine. There shouldn't be any liability. Um, How are the remaining board of directors able to operate during that period without any open board meetings? Okay. So all your board meetings should be open board meetings. So that's a violation right there. And there could be liability for that. Even during the pandemic, boards were having open board meetings via Zoom. So... You know, I don't know how they were able to operate without opening meetings. It sounds to me like that was a violation of the law. Question five, our budget is based on our fiscal year, not the calendar year for our governing documents. Is this in conflict with state law? So no, it's not in conflict with state law. So the budget, if it's based on your fiscal year, and like a lot of cities, towns, municipalities, counties, the state of Arizona their budgets and their fiscal year ends you know, June 30th and their new year starts July 1st. So that some associations have that, but it's really very rare, frankly, like probably 1% of associations have their fiscal year that's not the calendar year. So it's okay if your documents allow for that, that's fine. You still have to file taxes for your association on March 15th, corporate taxes for state and federal taxes So even if your budget is fiscal year, you still have to file taxes pursuant to the federal and state government's requirements. And this doesn't conflict with state law because, you know, your budget is just that your budget pursuant to your documents. There's no state law that says that you have to have your budget be on the calendar year. Question number six, if CCDRs state that a 5% increase over prior year's maximum increase in dues Would you interpret that to mean that increases can be done retroactively if the prior two years did not have increases? Meaning in fiscal year 2024, we can do a 10% increase. Would you interpret that to mean still only 5% increase max every year? This is a really good question. I'm really conservative on this. I feel that if you, if your CCNR is saying you can do a 5% increase each year without a VOSA membership, You have to use it and take it in that year. You can't bank it and say, well, we didn't increase our assessments for five years, so we should now be able to increase it 25%. I don't think a court is going to agree with that. Um, I know that there are some attorneys um, that practice in HRE and condo Law that think that is true. I am not one of those. I am practical, and I do not think a judge is going to agree with that. And I know that some of these other attorneys say, well, on paper, we bank it, like we say that we're levying it, but then we don't collect it. I just, judges are smart and I don't think that they're gonna fall for that and then later collect it 25%. It just, it's not the right thing to do. That being said, go back to what I said earlier today, you, know, you really should be doing a cost of living increase every year on your assessments and increasing it by that amount. Okay, number seven. Assume an HOA board consisting of three directors that also provide services normally offered by a management company. Two directors constitute a quorum. Further assume that the board occasionally experiences challenges in coordinating board meeting dates and agendas by email. As a practical matter, is it common practice and or reasonable for the board to speak informally by telephone or Zoom for the sole purpose of setting meeting dates and agendas without a public notice? Provided no other business, HOA business is discussed. I'm probably okay with setting the meeting dates and agendas as long without having it be an open board meeting, as long as there's no discussion on the agendas. Basically, it's just, I want this on there or let's add this there, you know, without a discussion of, well, let's get three bids for the tree trimmer or that kind of thing. Just here's what the agenda is. Does anybody have any changes or suggestions? You could do that. That probably could even be done by email. Same thing about, are you guys available for the board meeting on Wednesday, the 7th at 7 p.m.? That could also be done by email. You don't have to have an open meeting for that. Okay, question number eight. Can the reserve account funds be used for a repair, such as a sewer line, that was not listed in the reserve study? There are plenty of funds in the reserve. The treasurer said, no, we cannot use reserve funds for this unexpected repair that the HOA would have to do a special assessment. Is that correct? The reserve fund is fully funded. Well, something I'd want to know on this is, is the sewer line something that is an area of association responsibility? And if it is, why is it not included in the reserve study? That's a good question to me. If it's not an area of responsibility, then I mean, I agree, it shouldn't be, reserve function shouldn't be used for that. Lots of times the reserve companies don't Include sewer lines and they probably should be. And so it's something, a question that you should talk to your reserve company. Why was this not included? Would be one thing that I would say. And can we include it in the future? Ultimately, the board makes a decision on how reserve funds are used. So just the treasurer saying no, um, you'd want to talk to your legal counsel, get their opinion on it. And then ultimately, the board, as a majority vote, should make the decision on how the reserve funds are used. Are not used to repair the sewer line. Question number nine, is there a legal definition of inadequately funded? I'm assuming that you mean for the reserve. And would an HOA constantly funded at 10% of reserves be inadequately funded? So the definition from my perspective and a lot of the reserve studies just have this listed right in the reserve. They did this little bar graph And if you're from zero to 30%, you're definitely inadequately funded. Like 30 to like 60% means that you're, you know, still inadequately funded, but not as bad as the zero to 30. And, you know, like 50 to 70 means that you're getting closer to adequately funded. 70 to 80 is probably adequately funded. And then 90 to 100 is probably going to be fully funded. Okay, question number 10. Our CCNRs from 1984 state that the maximum assessments may be increased each year by the board up to the same percentage amount as the CPI for all urban consumers. If we are doing our budget in September for our October board meeting, does this mean that we have to use the CPI for the calendar year ended 12-31-22, or does the board have the discretion to use a more current CPI number? which is more indicative of where the current inflation rate is. Well, in the example that you gave me, it says that you can only do it the same percentage amount as the percentage increase during the calendar year then ended. So you'd have to follow it and do it by the CPI as of 12, 31, 22 would be my opinion. Question 11, should we proactively ask vendors whether their fees will go up next year? Some feel that question only encourages them to raise rates, but others feel that forewarned is forearmed and would rather know now than having fees rise mid-year without warning. Okay, I can tell you just from my experience as a vendor for the association, whether or not uh, clients are contacting me to ask if I'm raising my rates plays no factor whatsoever in our firm raising rates or not raising rates. I'm raising rates when the expenses are to the point that I can't continue to operate with you know the income that's coming in and I need to raise the rates. So that's my chain of thought. If someone's asking me if I raise the rates, I don't think, oh, this is an opportunity for me to raise the rates. I, that is not something that crosses my mind. I don't think it's... A problem at all for you to ask your vendors. As a matter of fact, I expect it. We get lots of calls this time of the year. And in case anybody's wondering, we have no plans to raise our firm's rates in 2024. Okay. Question number 12. Opinion to reduce the recommended reserves contribution by the previous year's earned interest. So example, $250,000 is the 2024 contribution decreased by 25,000 interest earned in 2023. Hmm, that's a good question. I'm okay with that as long as you know that the reserve didn't factor that interest in and expect it. I'm fine with that. Okay, Carol. Oops, sorry, wrong thing. I'm going to skip and we'll put that one at the end. Okay, you're just intermix it, so I don't get that in there. Okay, next question. 13. If an association keeps yearly surpluses in an equity account that is used to cover any non-budgeted yearly expenses. Can they use those overages to increase a budget line item for the next year, thus decreasing the next year's surplus, assuming dues are not raised, or if they increase a budget line item year over year, must they raise the dues? Good question. So no, you can play around with this. If there's some surplus in an equity account that you're using to cover non-budgeted expenses, this is kind of like your emergency amount, like we discussed a few questions ago. Do we have to increase that line item because we had to you know, use money from the equity account? No, you don't. But you want to be thinking, is this something that's going to happen yearly? And if it is, then you may want to increase it. Okay, number 14, our last reserve study did not identify what are specific amenities. Where else would this be identified? We're specifically wondering about our aging, ugly, little-used clubhouse that some of us would like to tear down rather than spend a fortune to redo. I mean, I don't know who did your reserve study, but that was a major mess. That should have been in there. Reserve studies outline in detail down to the furniture at the pool what needs to be replaced. So I don't know who did the reserve study, but it sounds like they did not put that in your reserve study. You probably need to do a reserve study um, with more detail specific on the amenities. Okay. Next question. Question 15. If we plan to do turf conversion as a new project in order to reduce water costs, can this project come out of reserve funds? I think it probably can. I would touch base with your reserve company that did your reserve study. You'll wanna add that to your reserve study too because the artificial turf has a shelf life. And so you wanna make sure that you're budgeting for that in the future. But we've seen conversions from desert landscaping to or from grass to desert landscaping and association funds and reserve have been used. So I don't have a problem with that, but just double check with your reserve company. Number 16, what can an HOA of 39 units in Sun City West expect to pay for a reserve study? I would say somewhere between $800 and $1,200. And if anybody wants the names of reserve companies that, you know, have a good reputation in Arizona, feel free to email me at beanmulcahy at mulcahylawfirm.com. And I'm happy to share with you three names. Okay. Next question. If a board fails to follow the recommendations of a reserve study that indicates an underfunding of the repair and replacement fund, is there any recourse for failure of fiscal responsibility? Well, this is a tough question. So boards inherit problems, right? So it could be a prior board that set them up for this. I mean, I just know I was on a board where we had a reserve study that was showed that we should have had a whole heck of a lot more money in there and we were digging and scraping to collect the money to get it into the reserve to get our reserve back up. I mean, is it a, a possible lawsuit against them for failure to fiscally respond, be responsible? Possibly, but. You know, they're probably having some good arguments in terms of, well, this is what we're doing. And oftentimes, a court or a jury is going to find that to be reasonable that they're acting the same as a reasonably prudent person would be acting in the same situation and therefore not fiduciary violation. I think it just really depends. I mean, if they have a reserve study done and they're just blowing it off and they just frivolously spending money, then maybe my analysis changes a little bit. but that's a harder case, I think, to win. Okay, harder case meaning that if they're trying to you know, scrape up the money to fund the reserve, it's gonna be hard for you to win that case in a court of law or with the jury. Okay, question number 18. Our HOA's prior boards had not paid attention to funding the reserve, but not in the normal way you have discussed. They continued to add reserves without a reserve study, just building the funds higher and higher. We now have a fiscally responsible board that has cut unnecessary spending and has done a reserve study. We have been over-assessing our members in the past due to the old boards and are looking at cutting our assessments to be in line with both expenses and reserves. You said lowering or not raising assessments are frowned upon. Would that be the same for our situation? So no, it wouldn't be. I mean, every blue moon, like, oh, that's not very often. Do I get an association that comes to me and says, hey, we're overfunded in our reserve or our assessments are too high. We don't need all this money to meet our expenses. That's pretty rare. But if that's the case, then you know, lowering the assessments or not raising the assessments is just fine. Just make sure that when you do it, that there's a good paper trail as to why you're doing it and that you've analyzed this from a number of different angles, et cetera, in the meeting minutes, Okay. Question number 19. Can associations require a reserve contribution to new owners, buyers, above the normal monthly contribution? Yes. Typically, that's called like a transfer fee or like a capital contribution fee. We have a cheat sheet on this topic called transfer fees versus disclosure fees, it's on our website at MulcahyLawFirm.com. If you're going to do this type of a fee, it needs to be in the CCNRS and you need to follow all aspects of the law um, in terms of how you word it. So it's not just something that you can just implement. you say, okay, starting right now, they have to pay you know a $5,000 capital contribution fee if on the reserve. It has to be set up exactly as state law requires and it needs to be in your CCNRS. Okay, question number 20 looks like we're up to about 25 questions, so we have six more to go. The financial reports are complex and difficult to interpret as a new board member. I have thoroughly looked through the documents, the invoices. Can you give some tips on specifically what to keep an eye on just to catch any red flags? Okay, so I would say that your management company should be able to give you like a little um, primer or a little short. Class on how to read financial reports. That would be one thing I would recommend to your board, or hire our firm to come in and help your entire board. Just do a boot camp on how to read financials and what types of things you should be looking for. Kind of the red flags in my mind are cash shortages, overdraft fees, go through our cheat sheet. Those give you all the red flags in terms of what are some things that you should be watching for. That's what you should be looking for because those are like blatant evidence that somebody stealing money from your association. Question number 21 is, what is best practice for petty cash for small expenses such as a light bulb or planting flowers at our monuments? Best practice would be that the person that either spends the money to buy light bulbs that they submit a reimbursement request to the association and the, they submit the receipt with it and maybe a little write-up as to where the light bulbs were used or it's written on the receipt. You know That would be one way to handle it. If the association has petty cash and you're just sending the manager, or the building engineer, or a board member to Home Depot to get something, same thing. Give them money that you think it's going to be for petty cash. So petty cash out on the outside of the envelope who it went to, the date, how much? And then petty cash back in. So is there change? And then the receipt showing the expenditure that deducted from the petty cash. Question number 22. What are best practices for better oversight and repairs and projects to avoid inadequate repairs that reduce asset lifetime and cost more in the long term? Oh, I have this problem at my association right now. <laughs> um, so you have an, an aging community, it sounds like. And you're making repairs to avoid long-term things that really need to be replaced, right? And there's really, you need to get some advice from, you know, there's companies that will come in and they will do like a master plan for your association. I I don't know how large you are, but if you're a larger association, like over 500 units, you probably need an expert to come in and look at what your assets are and where you are in terms of repairing them. And come up with a master plan to pay for these big projects. Putting band-aids on, so for better oversight on repairs to avoid asset, you know, replacement. Sometimes it's not the best thing. You know, just putting a coat of paint on something that's rusting down to the core, it may not be the best thing. But I mean, I guess what I would say is, talk to your vendors that you're bringing in to do the work, and say, what is your recommendation on this? Or should we continue to if the light fixture costs eighteen hundred dollars and the repair costs sixteen hundred and it's not going to work? Isn't it better just to take it out and put in you know like a two thousand dollar one? If that's what the going rate is for it now. I mean, over time you're going to get ahead instead of having all these little repairs that add up over time, but actually don't ever give you a new asset or a new capital improvement. Talk to your vendors, make good business choices avoid putting your self-interest above the interests of the association. So sometimes on these boards, we see people that uh, maybe you're on fixed incomes and they look at an expense and they think, I don't want to pay for that. I'm not going to be here in 20 years. So I just, I'm only going to vote for the repaint, caulk and walk. Well, if the window is leaking, caulking and walking isn't going to fix it, right? And it could cause more major damage down the road. Just thinking about what's best for the corporation, listening to your trusted advisors, reaching out to your attorney to get a second opinion if you're not sure things are being handled right. Okay, next question from one of my favorite former clients who used to be on the board, but I think she's here as a homeowner today. How would you get your association to be 100% transparent with financials? They never provide a monthly statement. So what I would do is I would um, make a records request. Under Arizona law, you're allowed to make a financial records request. You can ask for the bank statements. You can ask for the check register. You can ask for the financial statement for the association. You can ask for copies of all CDs. If they don't provide it to you, do it in writing. If they don't provide it to you within 10 business days, they're violating the law. And you can go to court. You can buy a lawsuit against them in Superior Court. You can go to the ADRE, Arizona Department of Real Estate, and file a complaint. Um, you'll have to pay $50 $500, $500 filing fee, but you'll get that back if the court rules that the administrative law judge rules that they wrongfully withheld documents from you. So you have remedies, but I would start with writing a letter, ask them for the information first, and if they don't provide it, then consider your legal remedies. Last three questions. Um, we have significant 15-year loan for capital expenses. Should the loan accounting be in the assets on the balance sheet or under liabilities or both? It's probably already factored in on the assets in terms of the money on hand. And it definitely should be a liability because you have to make a monthly payment to pay for the loan payment every month. Though I think, I think it's already included in the assets in terms of how much money you have on hand. Um, that hasn't been spent from the loan. And, and it should definitely be included on liabilities. And what I would recommend is talk to your CPA about this because I'm not a CPA. I'm just giving you, you know my thought as attorney that represents associations. CPA is going to have the most definitive response on that. Okay, last two questions. Would you recommend a company or individual for a reserve study? Yes, I'm happy to provide three names to anybody who wants to email me. My email address is bmolcahy at molcahylawfirm.com. Last question, when you say reserve is 70% funded, does that refer to each year? We need $100,000 predicted to be needed for this year, and we have 70,000 in the reserve fund. So yes, it would be just for that year, funded for that year. That's correct. So if you're 70% funded, it's as of the current year that we are in. Okay, that's it. We had a lot of questions today 26 questions. I want to mention a few things before we sign off for today. Thank you so much for all of you being here today. At one time, we had almost 150 live viewers on Zoom and many others on Facebook Live. Great for all of you to be here today. Thank you for taking time out of your schedules to want to learn more about financials in your association. Our next learning opportunity is going to be Friday, October 6th at 9 a.m. We're going to be hosting our virtual First Friday free call-in, where I will answer HOA and condo questions live for your association. Some additional details can be found on our website, um, and questions can be submitted now through the morning of October 6th at 8.45 a.m. Also, we're going to be conducting another Neighborhood Services uh, virtual HOE Academy class on Tuesday, October 17th. And the topic is going to be legislative update. We're going to be looking at the ins and outs of the five new laws that are going to be going into effect on October 30th. And we're also going to be talking about hot topics pertaining to associations. So um, we're going to be diving into industry's hottest topics, such as green initiatives and associations electric car charging stations, you name it. We're covering what the hottest topics are in our industry right now. So please don't forget to join us for those two dates, first Fridays and October 6th, and then our Neighborhood Services Virtual H.E. Academy class on October 17th. We want to give you plenty of notice. We have a little change in date alert. Remember that Thanksgiving's a little bit earlier this year. It's actually on my daughter's birthday. And so we are, this year, we're going to be having our um, Neighborhood Services Virtual HOA Academy class a week earlier than Thanksgiving. Now, no, we normally have that class the, on the third Tuesday of every month at 11 a.m. In November, we want to give you a heads up nice and early that we're going to be having it um, on Tuesday, November 14th, just so that we don't catch any of you on vacation or getting your turkeys prepped or whatever that week. Um, So we're gonna be changing that class to a week earlier and we'll continue to publicize that and have that information on the website. Okay, lastly, please consider leaving our firm a Google review. We're sharing the link right now in the chat on how to leave a review. Um, We are always happy to get feedback from our valued customers and those of you who attend our seminars on how we're doing in these classes, how we can improve topics you wanna hear more about so that we can continue to improve our service and do a better job for you when providing you these educational seminars. So the Google review link will be shared with you shortly if it hasn't already been shared. Um, I really appreciate those reviews because it gives me an opportunity to hear directly from you how we're doing. Thank you again, and I look forward to seeing all of you in October for our two upcoming classes. Thanks so much, everybody, and look forward to seeing you in October. Don't forget, our free cheat sheets are available for download at LawFirm.com. The intent of our Zoom, Facebook Live, First Friday free call-in, videos, and podcasts is to provide a forum for board members and community managers to receive answers to HOA and condo legal questions. Please note, the content in these sessions are general in nature and is not intended to and should not be relied upon or construed as legal opinion or legal advice regarding any specific issue or factual circumstance. You should directly consult with an attorney for advice regarding your individual situation.